0: My name is Ross. Again, I want to welcome you and also encourage you. I do hope that you will be here next week. If you are in town, please be back here at church with us so we can have a wonderful chili challenge and sign up to bring your chili out there in the lobby uh, as you can. I know that uh, probably all of us over the last uh, seven days have been thinking about our world, have been thinking about religion and the role that it plays in our world. This fall, we have been in a series called Explore God. And for the last weeks of the fall, we've been talking about questions, some of the most fundamental of life's questions. Questions like, Is there a God? Does life have a purpose? And uh, if there is a God, then why why would a God allow such pain and suffering that we see uh, globally, that we experience personally? Those are some of the questions. That we've been looking at, and then specific to Christianity, we've looked at questions like Is the Bible reliable? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? These are the questions that we've been examining, and our bias has been that if you explore God and that if you find God, if you find particularly the Christian God centered in the person of Jesus, He is the answer to your problems, He is the hope. Of the world, but there are many people in the world who would, who, uh, in contradiction to that, would say that religion and Christianity, in particular, are not the answer to the world's problems. They are, in fact, the problem. That religion is not the solution to life's problems. That religion, in fact, is the problem. One uh, proponent of this uh, perspective. In particular, is a man named Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens is an atheist. He died about a year ago. But Christopher Hitchens, a few years ago, wrote a book. And the the title of his book is called, God is Not Great. How Religion Poisons Everything. Hitchens is saying the problem in the world is religion at the core. At one place in his book, he says this. The human invention of God is the problem to begin with. Get rid of religion and the world will become more civilized. Our problems will lessen. Religion is to blame. Elsewhere in the book, he talks about how the profusion of gods and religions has retarded the development of civilization. It's the fault of religion. He's not alone in this thought, and there is one study uh, conducted in 2014. This is called the Pew Research Study that was conducted in 2014 about religious beliefs in America. And what the Pew study found in 2014 is uh, many things, but one significant finding that they found is that as you survey people about their religious beliefs, and this is in America, what is a significant growth area is what they call the growth of the nuns. Okay, I'm not talking about Catholic nuns here, but I'm talking about when you survey and you ask people, what is your religious affiliation? Is it Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, Islam, Mormonism? What is your religious affiliation? Over the last several years, there's been this growth in the box checked, none of the above. No religious affiliation. So in 2007, the number of those who claimed to be none, no religious affiliation, was 16% of Americans. 16% of Americans in 2007. But in 2014, that number had grown to 23% with no religious affiliation. That number is even more significant among millennials. Millennials are the generation that were born uh, primarily between 1980 through 1996. Of the millennial generation, 35% of young people, millennials, say they have no religious affiliation. They don't want to associate with just one faith. The rise of the nuns. And many of those people are saying that if in this world that is so chaotic and so religiously divided, that if you say that you have religious truth, if you say that your way is the way to God, you are actually part of the problem. Therefore, the solution is to rid yourself of religious affiliation, to rid yourself of faith. Here's where I want us to go this morning. The bottom line is this. The bottom line that I hope to show you this morning is that every one of us are believers. Every person is a believer in something. And so when people say that they no longer believe, it's not that they're turning away from all religious beliefs, but it's in fact that they're turning away from something and turning to something else that they're believing in. They may give up their adherence to Christianity or Christian doctrine, but in fact, they are not ceasing to believe. Instead, they are believing something else. But we will all believe something. And the question is, is the thing that you've turned to, the alternative that you've embraced, is it better than the thing that you've left? Does it provide a more coherent answer to life's questions than the Christianity that you left or the religion that you left. But we're all believers. We all have some religious dogma. So join me, if you will, in John chapter 6. Open your Bibles to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, we're going to see a fascinating occasion of where some of Jesus' followers are turning away from him. They're abandoning him and his teaching. And as we look through this, uh, as we go through the passage here, John chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 60 and then go through verse 69. As we go through the passage, we'll find at the end two fascinating questions. Two fascinating questions that we're going to focus the bulk of our time on this morning. One is a question from Jesus. And the second is a question from Peter in response to Jesus' question, okay? Two fascinating questions. So here we go. If you have a Bible, read along with me. Uh, John chapter six, beginning in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? After this, many of of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. As we look at this passage, first of all, what we see here in verse 60 is that uh, Jesus is teaching. He's talking to a large crowd. And verse 60 says, Many of his disciples heard it and they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What was the hard saying that Jesus was talking about? Well, you can see, if you look in the context here, that Jesus has been talking about himself, he's been talking about his relationship to the Father. Uh, As you get to verse uh, 65, he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. And many of the religious Jews of his day were offended that he was referring to God as his father. That bothered them. That was a hard saying. You can find this even more clearly if you jump back to chapter 5. Look back at chapter 5, verses 18. Or actually beginning in verse 17. Jesus said, my father is working until now and I am working. Verse 18, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And they didn't like that. That was a hard saying to them. So they were grumbling about that. They were also grumbling because you look at the beginning of chapter six, Jesus has fed 5,000 people. That's the first story in chapter 6. He's fed 5,000 people. He's taken bread and fish, and he's multiplied it and fed this huge crowd of 5,000 men alone, plus women and children. And he's gone on from that miracle of feeding the 5,000 to say, I am the bread of life. Jesus says uh, all throughout John, he makes these I am statements, but he says in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, I will satisfy you. I am the spiritual food. I am the spiritual drink that you need. And in uh, about verses 52 and following, he says some things that really confuse him. He says, truly, truly, in verse 53, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. He's talking about bread of life. He's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That's disgusting. We can't stand it. Jesus, what are you talking about? Making yourself equal with the Father. Talking about your flesh and your blood. It's okay, little buddy. They don't like it. They can't understand it. And their their response is, this is a hard saying. And Jesus says in verse 61, do you take offense at this? Well, let me tell you something else offensive. You're going to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. Jesus says, like the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I'm the one descending and ascending. I'm the Son of Man, the Messiah, and I'm going to ascend back to heaven. John chapter 17, verse 5, Jesus says, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had before the foundation of the world. He's claiming to be God. You think it's offensive that I've said I'm the bread of life? Try this on for offense. I'm the son of man. I'm the one who has descended from heaven. I'm the one who will ascend back to heaven. And their their response, this is a hard saying. I'm out of here. Jesus questioned to us this morning, this hour, this season of our world, are you too going to leave? When the sayings become politically incorrect, hard to swallow, will you leave? Will you turn your back on me? Jesus had some hard things to say. He had some difficult doctrines to teach his disciples. That he was the way to heaven and he alone As we live in this world today and we make that claim that Jesus is the way to the Father, it's going to become more and more politically incorrect. Will you turn and leave? Or will you continue to follow? Hell, God, your God is going to send people to hell? That's an ancient, outdated thing. How can you still talk about that? How can you believe that this book is holy or somehow different than other religious writings? You're so backwards. You're so just from the South. You're so just Texan. Do you really believe that? That God's going to judge people? How can you still hold to that? Jesus' sexual ethic is so limiting, it's so narrow. How can you hold to that? And Jesus says, Will you too turn away when the heat gets turned up? Centennial Church, will you continue to follow? The even more fascinating question after Jesus' question is the the response that Peter gives. The question that Peter gives in verse uh, 68, Simon Peter replies. In verse 68, he says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What is Peter saying? Peter's saying, Jesus, what other option is there? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You may have some hard things to say. You may have some difficult things to say. But what other option is there? And when I uh, find myself sometimes talking to friends, old college roommates or whatever that are no longer following Jesus or having a hard time with the the Christian faith. Sometimes when I'm in a very, very, uh, especially cynical mood and they ask these questions, I'll say, why, why do you still believe in Jesus, Rosh? Why are you still following him? Sometimes I'll respond like this. Well, have you found a better answer? That seems to be what Peter's saying here. Have you found a better answer? Where else shall we go? Where else shall we turn to? Because here is the truth. When you turn away from something... You turn toward something else. You dump one religious belief to take up another religious belief. And the question is, is the new belief that you've embraced better than the belief that you've rejected? We've seen tragedy in our world seven days ago. Why do we see that tragedy? Why, why is the world grieving over the loss of life? Well, Jesus would say in the Christian scriptures would teach the reason we grieve at these kinds of tragedies is because the loss of life is so special. How so? Because the scriptures claim that all humans are created in the image of God. That's not said for any other thing that God has created, but humans created in the image of God are a higher order, a higher, more special than any other thing that God has created. Therefore, when that image is destroyed, it grieves God and it should grieve us because image bearers of God have been destroyed, have been hurt. But our grief comes as a basis of our understanding that humans are made in the image of God and not all religious beliefs believe that. It's in this season that I think we have to ask hard questions about. Does a Hindu idea of humanity have the same dignity for humans that Christians have? And certainly, it seems that we need to question the Islamic understand of humanity. If you will kill your enemies, what does your religion truly teach about the nature of humanity? If you will kill your enemies... Does your religion really support a high view of life for every human being? If you want to just throw off religion, and you say, well, religion's the problem, let's throw it off, and you become an atheist, then you especially have no background. You especially have no foundation for human dignity. Why? Because you're just a collocation of atoms and, and chemicals. You've just evolved from some other smaller life form. Therefore, why should we grieve? The premier physicists uh, in our world, one of the premier physicists in our world today is a guy by the name of Stephen Hawking. He has said this, the human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet. If you don't believe in God, if you've rejected God, this is what you have as an alternative, that humans are just a, a chemical scum Slightly made up different than other things, but ultimately of accident. Of no essential, no eternal value. So you can throw off religion, but what are you left with? Another atheist, popular atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil and no good, but nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Do you hear that? If there is no God, then the world is just as it should be. Why are you surprised at terrorists? Why are you surprised at suffering? It's just the result of a random universe. And because there's no God, look at this. There's no purpose, no evil, or no good. If there's no God, you've lost a moral framework. You've lost a moral lawgiver by which to judge good and evil. You can throw off Christianity. You can throw off religion. But what are you left with? To whom shall we go? We are grieving because people matter. They are made in the image of God, and that is a uniquely Christian understanding that we should hold out and say, This is good, this is right, this is what we believe, this is what we stand for as Christians. What is wrong with the world? People made in the image of God have curved in on themselves. They've become sinners. So the problem with the world, according to Christians, is this problem called sin. Yeah, sin. This ancient Bible word says that the problem in our world is it does not lie outside of us. The problem with the world lies within each person. It's in our heart. It's in our sin nature that we are sinners by nature and by choice. Throw off religion, take on a secular worldview, and what does the world tell us the problems with our world are the result of? Well, it's the result of education. And if we just get better education for everybody, then we can solve some of these problems and and people can get along better if they're just more educated. But 2015, have we really made as much progress as we need to now that we're the most educated people in the world? Isn't it sometimes the most educated people in the world that are doing the greatest harm with the things that they've invented and the power that they have? If you are hoping an education to fix this world, I feel sorry for you. Well, maybe it's not education. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, socioeconomic factors. Maybe it's because there's poverty, and maybe it's because we have the haves and the have-nots, and maybe we need to bring the poverty uh, people in poverty up, and then if they have economic means, th- these kinds of things won't happen. Jesus said it's not a problem outside of us, it's a problem within us. you can have education, you can have money, and you still have a sinful heart. Should we help the poor? Should we feed the homeless? Absolutely. And yet the Bible would say that the core of our problem is not education, the core of our problem is not economic, the core of our problem is spiritual. In In some world systems, When you get right down to it, there is no problem. This is often the view in the East, that actually we're all just one. We're all part of a cosmic energy or a spiritual life force. And if you just meditate enough and and chant, um, you might figure out who you really are and you would become one with the universe. One popular book written in the 90s is called Siddhartha, and Hermann Hesse in the the novel writes this about this uh, sojourner who is trying to reach nirvana or enlightenment. How would he find enlightenment in this world? And this is what he says. He says the world, he discovers, is not imperfect. The world is not imperfect or slowly evolving along a path to perfection. No, it is perfect at every moment. You want to subscribe to that? Perfect at every moment. Therefore, it seems to me that everything that exists is good. Death as well as life. Sin as well as holiness. Wisdom as well as folly. You want to travel to the East? You want to take on the Eastern mindset? The Hindu or the Buddhist mindset? We're all one. And if we're all one, guess what? We're all good and we're all evil. And we're all someday will disappear as individual personalities into the one cosmic force. If you give up on religion, you give on Christian give up on Christianity, you don't give up on belief, you accept an alternative belief. It's common it's common in our day to reject the idea of judgment, to reject the idea of hell or, or judgment after the afterlife, right? Or some people, they like the idea, many secular people like the idea of heaven. Oh yeah, we'll take that piece of Christianity because we like the idea of heaven. That sounds good. But what we don't like is that it's so narrow to get to heaven. So let's take this idea of heaven and let's just say, well, everyone gets there. And what I want to say is, why do you have this concept of heaven? It's not innate in all religions. It's not, heaven is not a concept in Buddhism or Hinduism. You want, to, you want to borrow from Christianity heaven, but you don't want to take the teaching of Jesus that says how you get to heaven. And some people want to say, well, yeah, there is a, there is a heaven. We believe that, Christians, and we also think the idea of judgment is outdated, so everyone gets to heaven. Everyone. And what I want to say to that is really, everyone, you want to go there, even terrorists, even bin Laden, even Hitler, do you really want to adopt that belief that everyone goes to heaven? Well, maybe I need to rethink that. Yeah. Some people in modern America want to reject the idea of judgment. Oh, standing before God, being judged after you die, that's an ancient, a primitive idea. Surely we can throw that away. But folks, let me tell you this. When you get rid of judgment, guess what? Judgment has to be done here on this earth. What do I mean by that? I mean that at some point in our lives, there's gonna be something so horrific, like suicide bombers or Hitler or Bin Laden or whatever, there's gonna be some point some person, some occasion in your life where you're going to want there to be eternal judgment. You're going to say, that person is so bad, there needs to be a hell. Otherwise, what are you dependent upon for judgment and for justice? You're dependent upon the court system, the military, or guess what? Yourself. To administer justice. Say someone breaks into your home. Say someone uh, hurts your family and you're worried that the courts will punish, you're worried that the government will do its job to punish wrongdoers and you don't believe in eternal judgment. So what are you left with? You're left to pick up the sword yourself and say, I'm gonna make sure judgment happens. So in one sense, Christians and the concept of eternal judgment is, is actually a motivation for peace on this earth. Why can we forgive people? Why can we put down the sword and not take judgment into our own hands? It's because we believe that one day God will judge all people. Amen. Therefore, we can leave it in His hands. But if you give up on eternal judgment, you better hope that your government will You better hope that the military, of someone, takes care of justice. Otherwise, it's up to you. What about the whole concept of God? When we reject the Christian idea of God, we embrace another idea of God. In Christianity, the idea of, 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 of salvation and Christ coming to this earth is for us to know God to have a relationship with God, and that is completely unique to Christianity. You know what the New Age movement says? The New Age movement doesn't say get to know God. The New Age movement says you are God. Listen to the words of Shirley MacLaine. Know that you are God. Know that you are the universe. And so from this perspective, the New Age movement is not, your, your life purpose is not to find God. Your life purpose is to find out that you are God. I started collecting these quotes 10 years ago. Every time I would read something that was, that was an alternative to Christianity, I thought, that's absolutely nuts. I would drop it in this file. So I have pages of all this stuff that secular alternative spiritualities say. So if you really wanna get depressed, just email me and say, hey, send me that page of documents. And you can read that 10 pages and you'll be depressed because of the hopelessness of it. Don't look for God, find God within you. That's not what Christians say. What about, the whole, what, the, what about the whole idea of the Muslim idea of God? You know that to be a suicide bomber, to, to be, be a martyr for Allah is one of the, it is the only way, John can correct me if I'm wrong, to guarantee paradise is to give your life in a mission for Allah. Otherwise, you have no assurance of salvation apart from that. You just have to hope that when you die, Allah will have mercy on your soul, but you have no assurance of salvation and certainly not a concept of knowing God like we have in Christianity. There's no assurance. In Christianity, we have a cross. We have the blood of Jesus. We have the word of God that says that if you've come to believe in Jesus, your sins are are washed away. You're as white as snow and you will stand before God clean as his child and enter heaven. You you can have an assurance of salvation, but that's only in Christianity. And you can enter an eternity where you know God for eternity. You have a relationship with him. Listen to what one Muslim theologian has said in terms of knowing God. Since there is no likeness of him, he or his nature is not known by other than him. So al-janud, I don't know how to say that, excuse me, may God's mercy be on him was right when he remarked, only God knows God. So by God, no other one than God knows God in this world or the next. It is impossible for anyone other than God to truly know God most high. Do you hear what the theologian is saying there? In Islam, it's not about knowing God. You can't know God. Only God can know God. It might be about obeying him. It might be about serving him, but it's certainly not about having a relationship with God. Completely different than Christianity. Jesus said this, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Completely unique to Christianity. So folks, here's the point. The point is, you can throw off religion. You can turn away from Christianity. But you're not turning away from religious belief. You are adopting a different religious belief. And here's the problem with beliefs. You have to live with them. You have to live with them. A couple, a couple days ago, I was in Walmart with my daughter, and she's uh, I, Elizabeth and I think, man, you know what? She may already have a relationship with Jesus because she talks about trusting God all the time. She's always asking spiritual questions, and it was just me and her uh, in Walmart grocery shopping the other day, and just out of the blue, Campbell says, Daddy, will, will everyone go to heaven? And I said, well, everyone who believes in Jesus will go to heaven. And she said, no, no, I mean everyone here in Walmart. Will everyone in Walmart go to heaven? (laughs) And I said, well, maybe if, if they believe in Jesus, they'll go to heaven. But if they don't believe in Jesus, they won't go to heaven. The problem with beliefs are that you have to live with them. That's a hard saying. If you don't believe in Jesus you won't have eternal life. We have to live with that. But you know what else is a hard saying? Another hard saying is, there is no God. And guess what? If there's no God, is there really any purpose? You know what else is a hard saying? To know that you can never be assured of forgiveness of sins based upon what God has done for you. That's Islam. You know what else is a hard saying? To say that we all kind of dissolve into the cosmic energy and there's no afterlife where we know each other as peoples, as people, as persons. That's a hard saying. So what I want to end this series with is this question from Peter. This question from Peter. Jesus... To whom shall we go? What are the other good options? There are none. There are none. Jesus is the only hope of the world. Amen. And when you turn away from him, you turn to something else that I promise you is not a better option. That's right. All of us, all of us have probably told our kids go up and get dressed. We're going to church today, or you got to get to school. Go on, get your clothes on. And they come downstairs, and they're dressed in something hideous that we, that we don't want them to wear, right? And what do you say? Go put something else on. Get something nice for church. What are they going to do? They're going to go upstairs. They're going to take off what they have on, and they're going to put on something else because you've said you can't wear that. But you know what they're not going to do? Is go to school Naked. I go to church naked, they're going to wear something. And the point is this, you're not going to believe nothing. You're going be, to believe something. You're going to put on some clothes, you're going to wear something. And the question is, is it true? Is it right? Is it beautiful? Is it good? Is it hopeful? We're not talking about clothes. We're talking about eternal truth. You're going to believe something. Will it be the truth? By way of application, I want to offer just a couple things, okay, as we close up here. Application number one, turn the tables. Turn the tables. What do I mean by this? I mean, oftentimes when we talk with our family, friends, uh, roommates from the past or whatever, and we have these conversations, oftentimes as Christians, we are, we are caught on the defense, like having to, to defend the Bible or having to defend salvation only through Jesus, and we're on the defensive. And what I mean by this is turn the tables. Ask questions of the non believer. Ask questions of the other religious faith. Questions like, so why do bad things happen? Why do tragedies happen? Do, you, do they have a concept of sin? Do they think it's about education or socioeconomic factors? Turn the tables. Hey, what do you think happens when you die? Make them answer the questions because we don't just have to be responsible for what we believe. They have to be responsible for the logical outflow of what they believe. Do you get it? Don't get caught on the defense. Turn the tables. Ask questions of your friends. Ask questions of your neighbors. Secondly, offer hope. Folks, many of of us may be fearful this morning, may be fearful about our world, but folks, offer hope. We have hope. I told our staff and leaders this week, think about our world right now and think about the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what our world needs right now? Do you know what is hope for our world right now? A kingdom to come. People want, people need to know that there is a peaceful kingdom coming and we have that news. Offer hope. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Jesus is returning. There will be a perfect kingdom. And finally, as Peter said, believe and know. He says in verse 69, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He believed, he trusted Jesus. And also this word know, he's come to know experientially that Jesus is the Holy One, that Jesus is God. Have you believed? Have you trusted in Jesus? Folks, if you're here this morning and you're trusting in anything else other than Jesus, it is bankrupt. Believe, trust in Jesus even today. And secondly, no. Peter walked with Jesus. He got to know Jesus. And as believers, yes, we come to a place of, of faith, but we also daily continue to know, to spend time with him, to get to know him experientially. Peter writes, grow in the grace and knowledge of God. It's a relationship that has to be cultivated. I have, a, I have an old roommate that has really struggled with Christianity. He's, it, some of it's kind of his personality and the way he's made up, but he flip-flops and he'll be hot. You know, white hot for a while, and then he'll get away from church and away from Christian fellowship. And, and, and at one point, he rejected Christianity. And as I, as I talked to him uh, in one conversation, I talked to him about, I'm like, brother, think about your Christian faith as a three legged stool, okay? A three legged stool. And, and one of those legs of the stool is the intellectual component of Christianity. Like, you, you have to know why you can believe the Bible. You have to be able to have these conversations about the reason for the hope that is within you. The second and third legs of the stool are the experiential and the social aspects. You have to experience God. You have to pray enough to Him that you get some answers to prayer. You see Him work in your life and that cultivates your faith in Christ. And socially, you have to be within a fellowship of believers who encourages you To keep that faith sturdy, to keep that stool sturdy and firm, right? If you never get those intellectual questions answered, you're going to have a shaky stool. You need to approach the Christian faith with, with some sense of rationality and some sense of searching, not blind faith. So I said, brother, you, you got you to gotta ask these hard questions, but you're also away from the fellowship of other believers. You're going to doubt if you get out of fellowship with the church and with other people who are trying to follow Jesus. You need that intellectual. You need that experiential of, of coming to know him, seeing him answer prayers. And you need that fellowship to say, Jesus, I'm not going anywhere else. Because I have believed and I have come to know Amen. you are the Holy One of God. No one else. Where else can you go? What other good option is there? There's not. Pray with me. Father God, thank you that we have hope this morning that in spite of a world torn by sin and ravaged by violence. We believe that there is a kingdom coming. Thank you, God, that you have not remained in the sky, but that you, you have come close in Jesus to give us hope. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that does not know the hope of Jesus right now where they are, they would pray and they would just say, Father, make me your child. I believe in Jesus. Give me life, give me hope. And Father, would you embolden us by your spirit? Would you send us out of here as ministers and missionaries of this hope? Because we confess there's no better answer. There's no better way. God, help us to live without fear. Help us to live with courage. Help us to live with hope in a world that's crazy.